Hello, I'm Austin McCormick, and you're listening to The Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome and introduce Alan Nelson IV. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, Austin. It's really uh, it's a privilege to be asked to participate. I'm excited. Uh, Brother Alan, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you and where you're serving, what you do, however you want to elaborate on that? Sure. sure. Um, so I am... Uh, First, I'll probably mention this in case any of your listeners hear background noises. I'm a father of five kiddos, and so I'm home right now with two two of the older ones. And uh, my wife and I have been married this year. We'll have been married 13 years. I'm the pastor at Perryville Second Baptist Church in central Arkansas, and uh, I've pastored here a little over three years. It's a Southern Baptist church. I've been in the ministry now for I guess uh, just over 13 years and so I uh, do some things on the side some writing and and uh, preaching and so that's that's kind of a basis of who I am a follower of Christ a, a, a reformed Baptist if you will and um, yeah that's uh, that's that's me I guess in a nutshell all right well can you talk a little bit about your uh educational experiences and how you came to those doctrinal conclusions? Yeah, so I was converted um, as uh, at a younger age. Um, my, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home per se, but it was a moral home. And uh, my mom uh, got me to go to church camp when I was younger, and that's where I came to know Christ. And I, uh, growing up, I didn't really think that I was going to pursue uh, ministry, but about halfway through my undergrad degree, I just felt that I should go to seminary and, uh, you know, surrender to the ministry and, and uh, pursued seminary. So I finished my undergrad degree in uh, actually in teaching, and then I went on to seminary at, at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I had kind of uh, wrestled very Minorly with uh, reform teaching, particularly on soteriology, at a uh, uh, before. But when I got to Southern, I really began reading the Bible and and wrestling with things. And uh, I was challenged by a professor to read through the Bible, and uh, not not because of reform theology, but just to read through the Bible to be able to shepherd God's people. And it was during that time, just wrestling uh, with Scripture, that I really became. Um, really uh, Calvinistic in my soteriology. Um, and then um, after Southern, actually, I, I haven't fully finished my degree yet, but after after my time on campus there, I really began to, uh, uh, to, to read more of the Puritans and I really began to have a more, a higher view of scripture, a higher view of the local church, and just uh, really, really began to, um, immerse myself in, in, in that in that line of thinking because I think that is what the uh, the scriptures teach so I really gave you a really a, a, a quick overview there but that's really how it became um, that was about 2000 I would say well 
two, by the end of 2008, I would have classified myself as a, uh, as a reformed Christian. Awesome. So, uh, we talked a little bit about how you came to these beliefs and, uh, you mentioned as you began to introduce yourself that you are an author on the side, and by that you've written multiple books. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your first book, From Death to Life? Yeah, From Death to Life uh, was published in 2018, and that book is really, From Death to Life, the subtitle is How Salvation Works. And so I'm a, I'm a pastor in the South, in the Bible Belt. And uh, this is something I've wrestled with throughout my ministry is just the, uh, the easy believism that sort of permeates the South. And also everybody's a Christian, you know, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's a professes to be a Christian, but there's not, uh, uh, there's a lot of wickedness, a lot of sin, a lot of, uh, a lot of lives that aren't really changed. The church is not treated as, um, lovely and scriptures aren't prized and Christ really honestly isn't followed. So that, that years of dealing with that is what was the impetus for from death to life. And so really what the book uh, seeks to go after is to understand how, how salvation works. So the gospel must be proclaimed and then God must work, um, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, God must work. He must open the heart. He must bring a heart from death to life. And then the sinner responds in faith and repentance. And then you have the lifelong process of sanctification. And so that's really the, uh, the, the main drive there of that book, From Death to Life. And uh, I've received a lot of pretty encouraging feedback on it. Uh, my desire for that book was for the, uh, the lay person and just to really tease out, uh, tease out, you know, soteriology without using those big technical words. I, I don't know, Austin, how familiar or how much interaction that you have with, with people who kind of, you just say a prayer and then you're a Christian. Do you kind of, do, do you interact with that very much or do you have yes. people who you've dealt with with that before? Yes. And, uh, I actually was a, on staff in the South also. And I, was uh, also immersed in a lot of the uh, easy believism that's prevalent amongst uh, a lot of those types of uh, churches. And this book that I'm holding in my hand, I feel like can be a great resource, not only to people in the South, but everyone who has had to deal with uh, the system of easy believism. And I feel like it's a great summary of what God does in the life of a sinner to bring them from spiritual deadness to uh, life. So. I want to thank you for this work, and also I'd like to segue us into uh, another book that you've written titled Before the Throne. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, uh, that actually started, my writing process on that actually started before I started From Death to Life, but I just kind of uh, had a lot of self-doubt as far as, is am I going to you know offer anything that's that's helpful. And, uh, I just kind of, I was encouraged by some friends reading, but I just kind of pushed it aside. And then after from death to life and the encouragement, you know, I kind of picked up before the throne and started working on it again. And, um, so it, it was published, uh, in, in this year, May of, of 2019. And the, the idea behind that book is similar. I mean, 
uh, I, I write from the context that I'm in. And so one of the major things that I deal with is people not understanding how salvation works. And then another major thing I deal with is people not truly understanding who God is. And so this is what before the throne seeks to tackle in a, in a, um, in a manner that's, that's accessible. And that is, you know, who is the God of the Bible? And uh, he's holy, holy, holy. And so that's, that's what I seek to tackle in this book, uh, really trying to stretch and challenge and encourage uh, people with understanding the holiness of God. Yeah. So uh, Alan is the author of Before the Throne, addressing the topic of the holiness of God. And today I've asked him to come on the podcast and uh, talk a little bit more about the holiness of God for our audience and for those who listen to the Covenant podcast. So the first question I have for you is, what exactly do we mean when we say that God is holy and where do we get this concept from, from scripture? Yeah. So let me start with where we get the concept and then I'll move into what we mean by that. So uh, the book tackles Isaiah six, three and revelation four, eight. We'll both say that God is in these uh, visions, one from Isaiah, one from John, that God is holy, holy, holy. And neither one of those passages seek to define holiness they just proclaim it and in one sense in one sense i think it's okay to say that holiness is undefinable and what what i mean is you don't have a word in any in any english language uh, the borrowing a little bit from rc sproul here but you don't have a word in any english language that really is a one-to-one correlation to the word holy. We have words like purity, and that certainly does define part of what holiness means. Um, we have words like otherness, and that certainly defines part of what holiness means. But the very word holy, uh, in, in some regards, is actually a synonym for God. God actually uses it as a synonym for himself, like in the book of uh, Amos, for example. And so it's uh, it is a word that obliterates the human tongue, so to speak. And I think that sometimes we can, if we dismiss holiness and we just say, well, it just means purity. Uh, it, that's certainly part of what it means, but it means so much more than just purity, that God is infinitely pure and free from sin, but also that he is unique and he is set apart from his creation. And there is no one, Exodus 15, 11, there is no one holy like our God. Well said. Uh, so in response to that, how does God's holiness correlate to unrepentant sinners and sinners who will be born again or sinners who are born again? Yeah, understanding the holiness of God, I would argue, is essential for articulating the gospel correctly. If you don't, so uh, I'm sure you've heard these and some of your listeners have heard these, you know, the gospel presentation that, uh, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, there's some truth in that maybe, but really if we don't understand God's holiness, then we don't understand the fundamental human problem. I think it's, uh, I think it, once again, it's R.C. Sproul who says, and, and I think um, that, uh, well, who, who says that the holiness of God is mankind's greatest problem. 
And the reason the holiness of God is mankind's greatest problem, I think Paul Washer said something similar to that, in that the greatest problem is that God is good. And, and what those men mean by that is since God is holy, there must be retribution for our sin. Our sin must be atoned for. Um, the, something must be done, uh, I should say, about our sin. And so for, for lost persons who enter into eternity in a lost state, they will suffer the holy wrath of God forever in hell. Uh, hell is not the entire absence of God. It's just where God's holy wrath is manifest for all eternity. And so to, to encounter the holiness of God uh, is to understand, you know, some people say, well, it's not everybody saved. But when we understand the holiness of God, we can really ask, how is it that God saves anybody? Well, then that comes into our understanding of the cross and how believers should relate to the holiness of God. Because on the cross, you have the holiness of God on display in the sense that the grace of God and the justice of God meet perfectly. This is how does God maintain his holiness and still reconcile sinners to himself? Well, the answer is the blood of Christ. And so I would just continue to press that if we don't understand God's holiness, then we miss, we really miss understanding the, the completeness of the gospel, or, or, or in fact, we can miss the gospel altogether. And then I guess the last thing I would say in answering your question is, believers relate to the holiness of God in that we have full and free access to God, but it's not on our merit. It's on the merit of Christ, because Christ is that perfect sacrifice. And then we seek to be holy like God is holy, although we will never be holy like God is holy, but we strive for not just positional holiness, uh, which is credit to it, credited to us in Christ, but also to be practically holy in our lives. Um, that was probably a long answer there, Austin, but does that, <laughs> does that kind of get us, get us going on that? Any, anything you would want to, I can clarify? No, that's good. That's what I'm looking for. I like the long answers. It gives me something to chew on a little bit. Uh, so you mentioned the importance of understanding the holiness of God, both uh, in correlation with the gospel, in correlation with uh, how believers relate to uh, the holiness of God. And uh, you touched on how the holiness of God will be manifested in God's wrath for unrepentant sinners in hell. Uh, how does God's holiness shape how we ought to worship him here and then in the life to come after? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. It's, it's a really, it's a really big question. Um, you know, I think it was A.W. Pink said something like God never forgives sin. He only forgives sinners. And I think what the, what Pink was trying to make there is, that sin must always be dealt with and it's either dealt with in the cross or it's dealt with, uh, dealt with in eternally in, in hell and understanding the way that a holy God uh, interacts with, with sin and sinners lays the foundation for how, for, for how we worship him. You know, first and foremost, I think I mentioned it in the last answer, but I would like to certainly reiterate, we approach God, not with our merits. Um, I think it's uh, the old hymn that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. 
And when we stand before a holy God, say in our corporate worship, or even in our personal or private worship, we stand before him in the mer- based on the merits of Christ. When we pray, you know, a lot of times we pray and we say in Jesus name, we just kind of tack that on at the end. But what we're doing when we pray in Jesus name is we are, we are, get, we are, we are bringing our petitions before a holy God based on the merits and righteousness and finished and completed work of Christ. And so first and foremost, we must interact with God based on the finished work of Christ because we have no, we have no merit uh, of our own to stand on that, uh, you know, as Isaiah says, our, our righteousness, the very best we can do is as filthy rags. And then uh, beyond that, I would say that we interact, we worship God, uh, a holy God, how it affects our worship is that we must worship the Lord on his terms. Right. So meaning um, it doesn't matter or sorry, sorry, sorry. The way I'm trying to phrase this, it's not only important that we worship God. So I'm not sure some of your experiences, but I'm sure that you've seen people that are kind of like it doesn't it's okay. Just what we can do, whatever, as long as we're worshiping God, uh, it's okay. God's pleased with that. But it's not just that we worship God. Actually, God cares about how we worship God. Um, I, I don't know. Have you have you have you experienced people that just they think it doesn't matter how we worship God? Yes, I can actually flush this out in a perfect example uh, that happened. Uh, let's just say very recently, uh, I saw a post on social media of uh, a woman that skipped church to go to a ball game and then published on Facebook. Praise God that God's presence is everywhere so we can worship him wherever we want to. And this was on the Lord's Day as a member of a local assembly, forsaking the assemblies. And uh, I think you would agree that, uh, as you mentioned, God's holiness shapes how we ought to worship him. And he has established order into how we should worship him. So willingly forsaking the assemblies ourselves and taking God's grace as a means to uh, go against the order in which he's established to uh, worship him. There was no bishop for this order on the Lord's day. There was no uh, hymns. There was no preaching. There was no uh, any other form that God has established. So the worship was not in accordance with what God had established before them. And if there was only examples in scripture, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm being, I'm being tongue in cheek there. I th- I'm thinking of two and I'll mention them in just a second, but before, let me, you know, I think you and I would both, both reiterate, we're not, we're not discounting the omnipresence of God, right? Right, right, right. God is everywhere. And, and, and one of the great things about the new covenant is that we, we were, we can worship God everywhere. And not only can we, we must worship God everywhere. Um, but there's a difference between that and deliberately forsaking the assembling of the saints together in order to uh, uh, satisfy uh, carnal appetites. But the, the, the uh, for example, two Old Testament examples came to mind. Uh, I guess I'll go chronologically. One is in uh, is in Exodus, and it's the golden calf incident. And in the golden calf incident. Um, Aaron actually calls God, uh, I'm not, I don't have it here before me, but Aaron actually calls God Yahweh. Um, you know, he says, this is the Lord, uh, uh, 
and there and so the the point I'm trying to make is um, the the problem isn't that they are worshiping the wrong God as much as it they're worshiping the wrong God in the wrong I mean they're worshiping trying to worship God in the wrong way um, and trying to make de depictions of God that are contrary to the way that he says you're allowed to depict me. And so that's why the, 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 uh, the uh, second commandment is there, not to make uh, any graven images. And then the other, the other example I thought about was when they're getting the Ark of the Covenant back and there's, much, there's a lot of joy uh, there. And uh, I don't know what just happened. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, there's something <laughs> popped up on my computer. So there's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of excitement. And the ark is being carried on a car and it stumbles and Uzzah reaches out to keep it. I mean, it seems to me like a noble motivation. He's trying to keep the ark from falling into the mud. But when he touches it, some of your listeners will be familiar with the story. When he touches it, God strikes him dead. Um, and so in that scenario, you have people worshiping the Lord, the right God. But Uzzah worships him in the wrong way, and God kills him. That almost seems unfathomable to the modern evangelical, I would say. That God would kill someone, not because he was worshiping the wrong God, but he was worshiping in the wrong way. So our understanding of God's holiness certainly gives us order in how we are to worship the holy God that has revealed himself through That's scripture. Right. That's right. And this, yeah, just to be, just to be clear, you know, and you just mentioned it, but just, you know, the scriptures, it's not, it's not, um, well, God is holy. So the Holy spirit just kind of tells me how to worship him. Well, the Holy spirit does tell us how to worship him in his word, in the scriptures, in the, 66 canonical books of the Bible. That's where we learn not, uh, not, not uh, new revelations or feelings or whatever. We are to worship the Lord as he has shown that he must be worshiped. Um, and we do that because he's holy. The back of your book in the description uh, before the throne mentions R.C. Sproul, which you've already quoted a few times, uh, Stephen Charnock, A.W. Tozer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and Jonathan Edwards, how have these men helped shaped how you view the holiness of God? Yeah, yeah, these, uh, these have been profound, profoundly impacted me. Um, I'm going to try to kind of think which order I'll start with. I guess being young, uh, in my younger days, even in high school, you know, you kind of hear the name Jonathan Edwards, but you don't really study much about him. Uh, but then R.C. Sproul, and the iPhone, <laughs> when, the, when I got the iPhone in 2009, I downloaded the Ligonier app. And so I would begin to listen to R.C. Sproul. And one of the things that I just began to immediately love about Sproul is his, was his love for theology and then his awe of God. And it was a number of years later before I actually read The Holiness of God, um, his, his, his classic work on the subject. But Sproul has Sproul greatly impacted uh, my my awe of God, my love for theology, and uh, and then Scarnock in two thousand, I think it was two thousand ten. 
I went. Are you are you familiar with who John Snyder is? I'm not. Uh, John, are you familiar with like the Behold Your God study? No. Okay. What are you familiar with? Oh, no, I'm just joking. nothing. <laughs> I'm joking, brother. I'm joking. Well, there's a uh, John Snyder's a pastor in New Albany, Mississippi, and in 2010, um, a, a, a pastor friend and myself went down there, and and uh, we were we were visiting and. He actually bought me a copy of Stephen Sharnock's uh, "The Existent and The Existence and Attributes of God." Have you heard of that work? I do have it. I have it on Logos. It's a big one. I haven't got to work through yet. Man, I tell you, it is it is massive. And he bought me that, and I began to kind of work through it. And I found it was very rigorous and hard, and just a lot. I mean. It's like, I don't know who said this quote. Maybe it was Paul Washer. I don't remember. But someone said a quote like, if you locked up evangelicals and, and asked them to talk about Christ for five minutes, they, they couldn't, you know, because they, they would run out of things to talk about. Well, this is not true of Stephen Sharnock. And so he just lays open uh, the, the attributes of God and to me in, in, a, in a beautiful way and just interacting with that book and being, being challenged and, and sharpened. And, um, I know there's times of reading that convicted and times reading that and just being in awe of who, who God is. So Sharnock's work, uh, really, really impacted me. And then Tozer's work, um, he's got a little book. Are you familiar with the knowledge of the Holy? Yes, I have that. So Tozer, um, some people don't like Tozer because he's not reformed. But here's what I here's what I encourage by Tozer is that he does come to a to a different understanding of soteriology. But in a lot of what you read by Tozer, uh, he is he is impacted by God. He has a he has a high view of God. He's not right on everything, but but encouraged by his high view of God. And then um, Lloyd Jones is is probably one of the more recent ones. I, I read his biography a number of years ago, and. Uh, just hearing his preaching and his story, he just committed to the Bible and committed to preaching a, a great and, and glorious God. And then the uh, same was true for Edwards and, and just, you know, Edwards just captivated by the glory of God. And so just interacting with these men and, and there's others I'm, I'm sure I could mention. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, do, you, do you have anybody, Austin, that just sticks out to your mind? Just say this, this man really just, uh, under, seems to understand who God is, and it just challenges you, fills you with awe, and it encourages you, and it makes you want to know God in a deeper way. Well, certainly there's a number of men that we could mention. Uh, I read R.C. Spoel's book on the holiness of God last year in a day. Uh, it's one Whoa. that once you start reading through it, it's so simple, and he goes through some of his personal experiences, yet so deep, and makes you have a deeper view of God. So if any one of our listeners have not studied this attribute of God, I would recommend starting there. Um, What are some simple ways to describe God's holiness to an immature Christian that needs to know more about God? Yeah. um, You know, one of the things, and I, you know, I didn't come up with this analogy, but one of the things about God is uh, an analogy is, you know, to an immature believer you know, God, like you're sticking your toe in the water, you know, and, uh, and, and you just barely stuck your toe, uh, in the ocean, so to speak, you need to dive in the holiness of God. One of the ways you can describe it, 
I think, to a to an immature believer is saying that the holiness of God means that God, in one sense, is profoundly bigger than what you have uh, have you, what you have considered. Often, too many professing believers and immature believers think of God as just a little bit bigger than what they are. Sure, He's all powerful, He's all knowing, and all that, but uh, the distance between them and God is not so is not all that great but one of the things that an immature believer needs to understand is that god is infinitely greater than they have cared to study and um and the way that we come to study him and know him is is in is in the bible so you know one of the things that jesus says in john seventeen three is this is eternal life that they know you to, to eternal life is knowing god in Christ. And so knowing God is a lifelong endeavor for the believer. So if ever there's a time that someone has checked that off, uh, they need to repent. And so uh, what I'm just saying is foundationally understanding God as holy means that we understand God as uniquely different, so far and so high above us that we will spend an eternity growing in our in our knowledge of him. And then, are, are you married, Austin? I am. So, you know, and we can say this, uh, but you know, sometimes when you're married, you begin to, to know your, your spouse in a, in, a, in, a, in a way you know them more and more. And some of the things you find out, you don't necessarily like. So, for example, <laughs> one person leaves the toothpaste cap off or whatever, you know, you got these habits. And so the more you learn some things, you're like, ah, I don't like that. And other things you're like, okay, I love that. Um, but what, what I argue when it, the more that we know about God, the more that we study about God, even sometimes if on the surface, we don't understand it, the deeper we go, the more enjoyment we'll find in, find in God, the more awe we find in God, the more delight we find in God. Uh, we, we, we truly were, brother, made for God, to glorify, to, to glorify God and enjoy Him, enjoy Him uh, forever. Well, we've mentioned ways that we can draw nearer to God, especially as immature Christians, and we've mentioned some ways that you and I have both grown to know the holiness of God through some of these godly men that have come before us, such as Sproul, Sharnock, Tozier, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and Edwards. We mentioned why we need to know the holiness of God in order that we can rightly worship him. What are some terms that can help us uh, flush out the holiness of God? If we want to know God deeper, are there certain aspects of God's that, that Christians need to know in a more deeper theological way? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is I think every Christian would do well to study the attributes of God. When we talk about God, you know, this is theology proper. It's interesting. A lot of systematic theologies aren't sure where to, where to start. Um, do they start with Scripture or do they start with God? And uh, I'm not really desired to enter that debate per se, but <laughs> when you start with God, uh, when you start with theology proper, you're trying to understand who it is that God has revealed himself to be. And so when you, when I, you know, I turn, think about terms, um, one of the things I'd like to say is that holiness in a sense is an attribute that permeates all the attributes. It, it, you don't rank the attributes of God. 
but as Sproul says in his work, you know, nowhere does God, is God called mercy, 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 or whatever. It's holy, holy, holy. And this aspect of his holiness permeates all of his other attributes. And so we should understand words like sovereignty or the aseity of God and, and all of these things. Um, but that, but that this is, but that holiness permeates everyone. His love is holy love, his mercy, holy mercy, sovereignty, holy sovereignty. And um, I think every Christian would do well to study the attributes of God. And I think there's a couple of ways that one can do that. So one thing is you could just read the Bible. And every time God says, I am something, uh, or, or, or you have an adjective with God, you can write that down. You can study it, and I think that would be fruitful. And then, of course, there are other resources out there. You know, I think Pink, both A.W. Pink and A.W. Tozer have works called uh, The Attributes of God. Like we already mentioned, Stephen Charnock, The Attributes of God. There are some help, helpful uh, systematic theologies out there that discuss the attributes of God. But I, I would encourage... Uh, myself and, and you and your listeners, that we can grow in our understanding of who God is. And if it's and if somebody has not ever studied the attributes of God, I would encourage them to, you know, that be the next thing that they do. Or if you've studied the attributes of God, but it's been a while, it's been a few years since you've really dug into that and thought through it, I would encourage, uh, I would encourage someone to pick that back up. And then also, a great, a lot of times also when we talk about um, practical studies, you know, like a practical women's study or a practical men's study or whatever. Well, there's nothing more practical than knowing who God is. A.W. Tozer uh, is the one that said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I think these would be a fruitful study to, to study on the holiness of God and to study uh, his attributes and to really dig down deep and to understand um, who God has revealed himself to be. Yeah. Uh, and following up on that, uh, if you do want to further study on the attributes of God to our listeners, I would recommend None Greater by Dr. Matthew Barrett at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He just released a book this year on the undomesticated attributes of God and such a great help in learning the attributes of God in an introductory way uh, that maybe can help you read Charnock later as he digs deeper into some of that. Stuff. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you go to ShepCon? I did not. So I, I picked up that book at ShepCon and uh, I was finished. I was finished with my manuscript, but I began to read that book. And actually there's a couple of places I footnoted in my book because it sounds similar to some of the things he was saying, but I just like, well, let me footnote it. Um, but I, I would echo that. I highly recommend that um, that work by uh, uh, Matthew Barrett um, because uh, yeah you're right it's a, it's an excellent little little book to to really deepen and in here, let me say this too uh, and I'm sure you've experienced this sometimes when you study about God it's challenging you're gonna encounter words that are difficult that you don't use every day your maybe your brain's gonna hurt a little bit but but why should we expect less right is God high above us or not. And so uh, what I want to would encourage anybody who picks up these books, um, you know, and I would certainly recommend it. Yeah. Let me just go ahead and say this. If, if, if you're a listener and you have never really picked up a book about God besides the Bible, um, I, I wouldn't start with Sharnock. <laughs> pretty, 
pretty weighty. But uh, but yeah, and if you someone's listening and you find yourself it's difficult and challenging, well, I want to encourage you that it's worth it. Um, a lot of things that we do in our life that are worthwhile, we they they are challenging. Um, but it's a reason that. Uh, it, but it's it's worthwhile. So uh, following up on that, uh, Alan is a pastor, as he mentioned at Second Baptist Perryville, and uh, I'm also a pastor in uh, Dixon, Missouri. How can pastors better emphasize the holiness of God in their pulpit ministries? I think uh, I think one of the things is that it's helpful periodically to preach um, to preach a series on the holiness of God or even his attributes. I'm not giving anybody a time frame. You have to do it so often. But I think that that's certainly a, a healthy way to remind people who God is. And then, and, but then another thing, um, we're, we're committed to expositional preaching at our church. And so one of the things you can just make sure you, you do is when, when somebody comes across, uh, when you come across a passage that, uh, that talks about who God is, you know, don't be afraid, even if it's just a verse or two, don't be afraid to just pause during your, ser- uh, during your series and just say, hey, look, this week we normally cover five, ten verses, but this week we're just going to cover a couple of verses and we're going to just stop and we're just going to gaze at, at who God is and what he's showing himself to be in his word. And we're just going to uh, just going to think about that and contemplate on it. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm not saying everybody has to do it this way but we're going through Genesis right now and a couple of times Genesis one through 11 and a couple of times I've tried to pause and just give an entire sermon on this is who God is revealing himself to be. We see these narrative, this narrative, but in this narrative, God is showing us these things uh, like his eternality or, or in chapter two is eminence that he gets down and scoops down and, and, and makes man out of the dust of the earth. Um, we see these great things about God that sometimes we can kind of gloss over. So just looking for those and, and periodically just setting God before our people, because sometimes I find the pressure sometimes anyway, to get to application, but before application, we need exaltation and, uh, E X U L T exaltation to, to rejoice in the glories of our great and holy God. And so we need to, uh, we need to have times where we just, we just are in awe of, uh, of who God is before we rush too hastily into um, application. If that well, makes sense. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. And Brother Allen, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, I want to put in another quick plug for our listeners. You can uh, buy From Death to Life, How Salvation Works and Before the Throne on pretty much, uh, I don't know, Amazon and other places where books are sold. And Alan has been gracious enough to uh, donate a copy of Before the Throne to one of our listeners. We're going to be doing a book giveaway. So keep up with the podcast to find out more about how you can get a copy of Before the Throne. Alan, thank you so much for donating. Thank you for taking the time to come on to the podcast today to talk about the holiness of God. And God bless you, brother. Thank you, Austin. It's the same, same here. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like The Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page 
subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.